0: Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright here in Fitzgerald, chat to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama from Wales and beyond to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the In Lockdown with podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Bran Wendemis. How are you, Bran? I'm good,
1: thank you very much. How
0: are you? Yeah, I'm good. Keeping going, It's Is locked lockdown going okay for you?
1: Yes, I have my moments. Some days I scream, and want to hide, and other days I'm Mm -hmm. much more proactive and positive and, you know, willing to just get on with it.
0: I think it does come in like peaks and drops for everyone, though. Definitely.
1: Massive waves, definitely.
0: Mm. yeah. I wanted to start where I always start these podcasts. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre and what were your early creative and theatrical experiences as a child like?
1: That's okay. I guess um, as a child, I didn't really think of it as theatre. I thought of it as storytelling. And, you know, I was always hungry for a story, always. And uh, my grandmother always used to remind me that I always used to beg her to tell me a story. And if she picked up a book, I was like, no, 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 not from your book. I want it from your mouth. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> so my grandma there was constantly put on the spot and had to just improvise in the moment and create these stories with me, and uh, we often work together and create different yeah. voices. You know, um, my mum said I always lived in my head, um, I always relied on my imagination, constantly dressing up, constantly trying to entertain the rest of the family, mm. um, and used to create my own little performances. Um, in school as well i used to write plays when i was in primary school wow. <laughs> I, uh, come to the teacher with a script and say i want to put this on and uh, i would actually direct it star in it produce it you Do
0: everything.
1: with all the costumes and stuff um so that element has always been in it in, in me i guess but also i was very lucky to go to a school that had a lot of theatre and education companies coming into the school right. um welsh language companies as well as english language companies and i still remember them to this day
0: would know? that have been people like, or people like...
1: And, when, yes. yeah. um, and also I, I just remember this company and i can't remember the name of the company but i remember they came and did this um production of the hobbit um for the whole school right. on primary school and you know, some images from that production still sticks in my head now, and I think it's vital, you know, that I was kind of, or children are exposed to kind of theatrical um, performances at an early age. You know, also being Welsh-language speaker, yeah. um, was introduced to the air at a very early age. Um, you know, the chapel, I was having to put shows on, and also coming from a tiny village that had an active... Um, Theatre company, amateur theatre company. Right. And you know, was dropped along to the village hall and sat down to watch stuff, um, good and bad, you know. Yeah. So, um I guess it's always been there and I've been very lucky, you know,
0: in, in one way or another. And was there a moment where you thought that's what I want to do? That's what I want to do in my life?
1: Um, I guess when when I was in primary school, um I I was um I was a part of um a theatre company called um, um, I was 10 years old when it started, it was yeah back in 1990, and um, that was children from all over North Wales, I guess, coming together, putting on shows, um, getting the opportunity to perform at the Theatre Gwynedd in Bangor, which doesn't exist anymore, um, but also, you know, travelling and, and taking part in things and being on stage. And, mm. You know, that was quite early on, being 10 and enjoying that. Um, but I guess when I first thought, oh, I'd like to make a living out of this came when I joined National Youth Theatre of Wales when, right. you know, when I was doing my GCSEs of the year after doing my GCSEs. And, you know, that was a game changer for me. It was such a brilliant experience um, working with some amazing artists, meeting other people from all over Wales and kind yeah. of going, wow, you know, this is exciting. And that's what inspired me then to apply for the Welsh College of Music and Drama. It wasn't royal when I was there, so It, it was, wasn't Royal.
0: And and what was that experience like? Um, the Welsh College of Music and Drama. did you feel that you you learnt a lot in terms of your future career? Yeah,
1: no, definitely, definitely. Um, oh, you know, high insight, I wish I could go back <laughs> and do it again <laughs> and be much more oh, I don't know, um Oh, what's the word I'm looking for I was very shy when I got there and I was very quiet and I kind of went into my shell a little bit um and I never quite came out of my shell <laughs> very different right. now I guess I'd have liked to go there you know I went to drama college when I was 18 um and I think looking back maybe I should have gone off and lived a little and had a life before going to drama college right um I kind of went into my shell a bit um Having said that, again, you know, the experiences that I had there, the people that I met, the shows that I was involved in, the plays that I read, they were all, you know, brilliant, helping me along, um, you know, to what I do now. I don't regret it at all.
0: Was it a big thing as well, moving down to Cardiff and the big city? I think so. I'm not, not that
1: I want to kind of say, oh, a little. Little innocent girl from Anglesey coming to Cardiff, but I used to jump out of my skin rooms to hear um sirens and stuff. And, you <laughs> know, city life was a new experience for me, and I laugh about <laughs> it now. i, mean, I backwards, but um yeah, it was a learning curve. It was different. <laughs> um and also you know you do a lot of growing up, don't you, when you're in yeah. college and when you um so uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it was a, it was an eye opener definitely. Uh,
0: and how did you st- how and when did you start writing?
1: Well, I guess you know, I, I I did write when I was in primary school. Obviously, nothing um, of high standard, but um, I used to write plays, I used to write dialogues, and I used to um, you know persuade my teachers to put them on. And luckily, they did. <laughs> um, but I've always written, and I and I wrote a lot when I was um, in secondary school as well. And you know, luckily enough, at drama college, wrote my own um, showcase pieces in Welsh and in English. Um, and I've always been writing and I think early on realised that I was a much better writer than I was a performer I used to love the rehearsal process, love being in the rehearsal room and dissecting the script pulling it apart, getting to know the characters but actually um, didn't really like performing (laughs) (laughs) or was scared of performing which makes me laugh looking back Um, but it was all you know, helped me massively to to write things
0: Because if you can create your own work, um, it's so vital, even if at the time you saw yourself as an actor, it would be so important for you to create your own work. And in terms of linguistically, um, early on were you a lot more comfortable working in Welsh than you were in English? I
1: guess so, I guess so, yes. But now you know I, I I wrote I write in both languages and comfortable writing in both languages and very keen on um, writing bilingually as well and you know trying yeah. to get um, Welsh and English into a play. I think my style of writing in both languages is totally different. I tend to be much more sparse when I'm writing in English, right. whereas Welsh because I love the sound of the Welsh language, I tend to um, play around much more with words, um, and. Yeah, it tends to be a bit more poetical and a little bit more flowery, shall we say. I I
0: think the form and the structure of Welsh lends itself to that as well, though. Yeah, no,
1: definitely. And I, I, you know, sometimes I think you should embrace it, but sometimes I think you should be careful that you're not pushing it. Not overdoing it, yeah. room for um, spacity in the Welsh language as
0: well. And what's your kind of process when you're writing?
1: Oh, um, I guess it does change with you know various projects. Sometimes um, I'm commissioned to write for something specific, so in that case, I'll do a lot of research, look into the story, um, who are the best characters to tell that story. But you know, if I'm writing for myself and I just want to, um, you know, as a whim, um, I always start with character. I'm a very nosy mm-hmm. person. I love people. Um, I love people's stories. I want to know what people's stories are. So I I definitely start with a character um, and get to know my characters inside out. Um, I live with my characters in my head for a long time. Um, If I'm driving... I sometimes interview my characters, I have a chat with my characters, my characters in the, in the passenger seat, I should admit to that, should I? Um, <laughs> but, um, that's my process, getting to know my characters first and then kind of saying, oh, what is their story? And I think once, you know, the first draft is just an opportunity to get it all down there Definitely. and throw in everything. Um, and quite often I allow my characters to tell the story for me, sometimes they have more control than me of the story and I, I, you know, because I know them pretty well by then I, I, I let the story go and then then it's going back to redraft and, and uh, have a bit more control I guess. It's
0: always really interesting when that happens, when you get to the stage where you're not writing the characters, but the characters are dictating. What?
1: Yeah, and it's it really annoying. You. you can have a birthday, yeah. You can
0: have a fight with your character going, aye, that's not how I wanted to take exactly. you." Yeah, and they don't do <laughs> what <laughs> you want them to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. people who, who don't like to or listen to this maybe won't emphasize with this, but like characters can go off, you know, where they were, and sometimes you've got to go with that, and then you find a piece of material that um, you wouldn't yeah. otherwise have found.
1: Yeah, they can surprise
0: you in many ways, you know, and uh, yeah, there's a there's a certain magic about that I think. Uh I wonder, you you gained a PhD from Aberystwyth Street University. Um
1: sorry, excuse
0: me. What was your PhD in, first of all?
1: Um I always laugh when I talk about my PhD because I always feel like a bit of a fraud and I shouldn't. I should just own it. <laughs> um, because when I first started doing my PhD, I don't think I realised what a PhD was. Right. Um, I was living in Japan at the time. I was teaching English out in Japan. And I think my um, dad wanted me to come back and found that Aberystwyth were offering um, a PhD in creative writing or writing for the stage or writing as a creative something and we could just kind of, you know, um, apply and and see where that took us. Um, and I just thought, oh, why not? No, without really knowing what it meant. Um, but it was a practice based PhD and I think that's very important. I'm I'm not massively an academic person, but the fact that it was, um, you know, that I had the opportunity to, to write my own plays as part of it, um, that, that was a major, major kind of plus point for me. So it was practice-based. It was a new writing, um, asking what new writing is and what new writing could be, you know? Um, this term new writing had been banned around and I was like, well, yeah. what is it? Is it just a marketing term or is it um, a certain type of play? Can a devised play be new writing? Or, you know, is a piece of new writing something that is so author-centred? You know, there's that tradition in British theatre that we bow down to the writer, and the writer is seen as God, (laughs) Um, and everyone bows down to the writer.
0: Do they have that in places like Japan, for example? Because I would think that that culture theatrically from the limited amount. I don't know much about that, but from talking to Paul Jenkins, who spent a bit of time in in Eastern Europe, that relationship is a very different one to what we have in this country. But in Japan, is it kind of... Yeah, definitely. I mean, in Japan, it's more visual. Um,
1: I think, you know, something much more colourful, um... Whereas we focus more, or there has been, you know, a tradition of focusing on words and text. Um, I say a British thing, maybe it's much more an English thing, Um, quite London-centric, you know, the kind of new writing movement. And that's what I guess I did with my PhD, kind of um, map the history of new writing from 1956, the Royal Courts, um, John Osborne. And then kind of seeing, well, what each decade has brought as formers, new writing, who are the writers for each decade, um, looking at the 90s, Sarah Kane, that kind of movement. And then kind of, you know, kind of prodding that a little bit and seeing, well, you know, can devised theatre be new writing? Well, I wrote three plays. One was um, devised with a group of actors, yeah. one was um, a collaboration with a director. And then one was me writing on my own and, you know, kind of discussing the process and kind of questioning from the theory and the history that I've learned about me writing and then be seen as me writing.
0: With those three plays that you wrote um, and the three different processes, which did you enjoy the most? Which did you get the most out of?
1: Well, (laughs) shockingly, (laughs) no, I learned a lot about myself during the three processes, but um, collaboration, collaborating with the actors was really, really rewarding, you know, Um, you know, it is quite funny because in Aberystwyth, Aberystwyth has um, uh, the theatre film and TV department there, has a strong history of Devising and improvisation and new work, so you could be seen as a writer turning up with a script as a bit of a dinosaur, you know, (laughs) that was a bit of a way of working. Whereas um, there's something really exciting and magical about turning up to um, a rehearsal space without a script and not actually starting with text, but actually starting with games, playing, um, telling stories, and you know, seeing where you went with that. Um, And I really, really enjoyed all processes. So, yeah, it was quite a provocation towards the end. What is new writing? Well, surely new writing can be much um, vaster than than, what it kind of claims to be.
0: Yeah, and I personally wouldn't have thought thought of it in that way, but that's really interesting. I'm going to move on um, just slightly. Um, What was your role with... Dirty Protest so how did you come to start to work with Dirty Protest?
1: Um, I must say I'm, uh, I'm very proud of Dirty Protest I'm something um, a company that um, you know I will champion until the cows come home um, I was very lucky to be one of the first writers in the first ever Dirty Protest back in the yurt at Milgi back in oh, when was that 2007 and you know for a for a newish writer at the time, it was, it was brilliant to be able to, you know, have a platform and to be writing a 10-minute play at the same time as then Thomas was writing a play and having some really yeah. exciting actors reading your play. Um, there was an excitement, you know, it was really urgent. There was, um, oh, there was a need for it, there was a hunger for it in Cardiff at the time. Definitely, you know, a company that was going to champion writers. If you were emerging, if you were established, um, and it was brilliant. There was that energy and an excitement, and I guess you know, um, I came involved in, in, a, in a more of a role about five years ago, um, as one of the um, one of the company members who speaks Welsh to to kind of develop the Welsh side of things. So um, took over from Mared Mared Swain, right. and Right. Um, kind of pushed where we could take the Welsh language. Um and, you know, we've collaborated a lot with Gallery and the Estevod and then some, you know, not just stuck to Cardiff but kind of travelled all over. And it's something that we're keen as a company to develop more Welsh language work. Um, but yeah, Dirty Protest, you know, we've developed in the last 12 years, and I guess we've matured, not just us as members. <laughs> Maybe we're not quite as radical <laughs> anymore, because other people, you know, took on board what Dirty Protest was yeah. doing, so the market became quite saturated with new writing and people putting on scratch nights.
0: I um, suppose from Dirty Protest came the other room at Porter and stuff like that, and without Dirty Protest... That kind of the other French native in Cardiff would not exist. No, definitely,
1: you know. definitely trailblazers, definitely pushing, you know, new writing and writers forward. But, you know, now I would definitely say that Dirty Protest is a company that gives writers um, a good process, you know, a rewriting um, structure. And it's not just handing your script over to a director, but, you yeah. know, um, to have that thorough process of rewriting and dramaturgical work on your play and you know I think it's brilliant that Disney process has been able to collaborate with Payne's Plough and take some brilliant yeah. Welsh writers up to the Edinburgh Fringe um, and to be able to tour you know small scale work and hopefully we can grow from there as well
0: I think what you were saying about dramaturgical support is so valuable because there are very rare opportunities to get high level dramaturgical support, especially as a new writer and if Dirty Protest can offer that I think that is so important Mm -hmm. for the community writers in South Wales. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, And how do you think the aims of the company have changed since you, or have they changed since you've been involved?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dirty Protest started because, you know, Tim Price, who, um, one of the founders of the company, thinking, oh, I, I don't recognise these audience members around me. They all seem to be very middle class, very white. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, how can we bring theatre to a different audience or people who wouldn't usually go to the theatre or didn't feel like they um, had a place in theatre, you know? Um and kind of then taking theatre to the yurt, to, oh, um, we well, performed in a bus stop, in a kebab shop, in a forest, in festivals, um, but you know, you, you move on from that, but that was all a labour of love, and there was no funding for that, and a right. lot of the hard work was done by writers, performers, directors for free. Um, and we've been able to sustain that for 12 years which is a big thing i think you know mm-hmm. kind of doing the work that funded companies get paid to do for free <laughs> i did <laughs> um, a really good job of it you know
0: i um, didn't realize that it wasn't funded
1: uh-huh. um and not to say that that's was the right thing but um you know to be working for free i don't think artists should be working for free um but it's a labour of love and putting our work out there and giving people a platform and opportunity. Um, things change, things change in the arts really quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a company now, we're striving to get more funding to be more established so that we can offer more, um, you know, mm. to give writers more. So the one, one person shows that we do um, like How To Be Brave, that Shana Wednesday based in Newport and you know yeah. Alan Harris's Sugar Baby a couple of years ago. We do go for grant funding for those, but it would be so great if we could have, um, you know, a safer kind of footing financially to be able to offer more um, and to be able to support more writers. Yeah.
0: It's needed in, in Wales as well. The opportunities are very few and far between. Yes. Um... And everyone, one. now. You were literary assistant at Sherman under Sean Summers. What was your role as literary assistant? And also how important is it that the Sherman have just announced that they're reinstating their literary department?
1: Yeah, I think it's vitally important. I mean, just to give a bit of context about the role that I did do. This was ten years ago. Right. Um, that I worked as the literary assistant at the Sherman, and it was because I used to work for Script Company, the company that merged with the Sherman to form Sherman Company. Company has been dropped from the name now, but Script Company was a company that focused on new writing, um, developing writers emerging writers, and showcasing writers from Wales, and championing writers from yeah. Wales, you know. Um, there's a massive need for that, and um, yes it's happening, but it could be happening on a much greater level, I think. So, um, my job as literary assistant, because I came over from Scrip Cymru, was very much working with writers from a grassroots level. Um, I was very, very lucky under um, Arwell Griffith who was the Literary Manager first, and then Shan Summers right. came afterward when he moved to um, theatre again, um, giving me the opportunity to develop um, a night called Script Slam, where we used to put on short yeah. plays and the audience would come along and they would get to vote for their favourite.
0: Is that the Script Slam that then moved to Um
1: I, I think they were inspired by right. that, okay. Yeah, so it's really great, but, you know, when something works that other people want to take a, yeah. take a chunk of it and, and kind of run away with it and, and do their own thing with it, I think that's great. Um, but yeah, it just um, gave people an opportunity to have their work on stage, even though if it's just 10 minutes, you know. Um, Yes, I used to read a lot of plays, um, write responses to plays, write notes. One of my most exciting experiences at the Sherman was um, when David James came in with his idea for um, Shoif, you know, that brilliant play that was performed (sighs) 10 years ago. I still remember that and writing, you know, being very excited about that. Um, And
0: Um, when when you read that draft of Shoif, could you see the potential in it from that Definitely. draft?
1: Definitely. I think um, Adolf Griffin is a stroke of genius, you know, kind of um, inspiring to, have to to create the play that he did. And what's been lovely is, um, you know, the fact that he, 10 years later, was able to write yeah. Tullwith, which was the follow-up um, yeah. that was performed at the Sherman recently, just before lockdown. Um, but, yeah, it was getting to know writers... And it's exciting because I remember Lisa Paddy, um, the writer Lisa mm. Paddy, um, she was living in London at the time and sent a play in for Script Slam and one of her plays now, the Murphys Digmatistle, you know, has been commissioned by the showman, so yeah, I yeah. got to know who the writers were and, you know, it was very much an admin role, but because um, of the staff who were there, the exciting staff there, they allowed me to have a bit of free reign and <laughs> get to do much more mm. creative work than, than maybe what the role was.
0: I guess you came to understand the network of writers and the group of writers who existed not just in Cardiff but in South Wales generally. Yeah,
1: definitely, I mean Script companies. Um, you know um, they were a company for the whole of Wales and when um, when we merged with the Sherman I guess it became slightly more southern um, right. or South Wales and you know we have to remember that Wales is much larger than Mm. just South Wales and, uh, you know, we need to support writers from all over Wales or, you know, um, Welsh voices doesn't just have to be voices from the south.
0: And it's not just the job of Clyde and Vernon to be doing that Sharon, and I can do that as well. Um, yeah. And MTW, but we won't go into that. I don't.
1: <laughs> you asked, you know, how I felt about the Sherman um, launching or reopening or you know reinstating a literary department I think it's an experiment, isn't it, for for a year with the arts yeah. council, um, a literary manager and a literary assistant. And I think it's great because you know um, to give the Sherman credit, they they've been running some very. Um, good writing courses for young people as well as established writers um in the past three four years um advanced writing groups that alan harris has been running brad birch has been running as well um and showcasing that they've been given funding by the carney trust and that's been invaluable you know um and it's just great to have writers in a room together isn't it you know absolutely um, writing, yeah. such a lonely business but I think, you know, the Sherman can collaborate with companies such as the Royal Court, as they have done with Gary Owens' plays and um, Ed Thomas's play recently. Yeah. Um, but to give writers that platform to champion writers, we're definitely needing to definitely. champion our
0: writers. And, um, I, I'm giving to... writers somewhere to go. Yes,
1: definitely. I uh, feel that writers have a home, you know? For
0: me, as an emerging writer, who do I the play to? Like, who's going to read my work in Wales? you know, where can I go? That is so desperately needed. There uh, needs to be
1: that open door, doesn't there? There needs absolutely. to be someone that you could feel like I can knock on that door and it's going to be opened, and someone's going to listen to me and someone's going to read my play.
0: Definitely. It's, it's vital. Uh, I'm going to move on slightly. <laughs> um, you wrote a play, uh, Cut and Run, in 2017. I did. <laughs> oh, did you go to theatre? Um, uh, was it a one-woman Christmas show? What was yes,
1: it? it was. Yes, it
0: was. What was it about? What was the premise?
1: Um, it was an idea that I'd been kind of um, bouncing around for a while, and um, Tim Price um, threatened me that he'd never speak to me again. I meant I should have taken up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually put it down on paper. I was procrastinating with this idea, and he was like, "Come on, then, write it." Um, and chapter, um, you know, were very generous, giving us a space to, to try it on. And um, Matthew Bulger had already written Last Christmas, so it was something that um, um, Data Protest had an interest in doing, I'm um, creating it like a Christmas show, like yeah. um, rather than a pants, So you know, something for adults, or, you know, something mm. different, but that had a Christmas feel to it. Um, it, was, it. It is a play, I should say, about a woman who's 30-something, and uh, kind of running away from Christmas, you know, yeah. um, kind of battling with what is my role with Christmas, if if I don't have children, you know, who's not the entertainment, and I'm not cooking, what is there to do apart from drinking yeah. the champagne, <laughs> and um, I think, you know, it's like a an unspoken taboo, families and Christmas, and, oh, you know, um, where do you sleep at Christmas if the whole family are there, and... You know, if you're not married and if you don't have kids, you're put up in the inflatable bed in the utility room. Mm. Or, you know, the, the kind of sad idea of that, but also the, the um, comedy of it and the roles and lies that we give our families at Christmas.
0: Um, I guess the, the social assumptions of what people should be doing or should have done yeah. by a certain age.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, the ghosts of Christmas past mm. and kind of facing up to that. But no, Cut Run was um, a show about a woman who runs away from Christmas, so rather than spending Christmas with her family, tends to go abroad, tends to right. go to different countries. Um, and Caitlin, the main character, is going to India for Christmas. Um, only, I think throughout the whole play, she's battling something and not actually facing up to... Um, a big truth of his, which is actually admitting that she doesn't want to have children. You know, yeah. so she slags like, off oh, all well, her friends who have got children is like, oh, Christmas oh, this is boring, or what's happened. And actually, it's just facing up to that truth of actually, I'm not going to have children. Yeah. You know, and I think it's um, kind of a taboo subject that women don't actually talk about, and, and I felt like I needed to put it down.
0: And was it a one woman show?
1: Yes, it was a one woman show, and Catherine Stewart. Um, was brilliant and uh, kind of performed it and um, yeah, Catherine Pascal directed. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience.
0: How do you how do you go about structuring a one woman show?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like obviously, when you're writing for one person, you have to make sure that it's not one massive rant. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not one person on stage going wah, 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 or um, you know this is how it is, and you have to make sure that it's not. The, the writer's voice coming through and that you're not preaching. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, that um, um, a, a very good piece of advice that Tim and Catherine gave me was, um, you know, Caitlin, the main character, is trying to convince herself of something, but she's lying. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, something has to happen to throw her off course. Um, and there's that realisation or finding that truth or finding that moment of, oh, yeah, that's what I needed. Yeah. You know, what she thinks she needs, you know. Um, but, you know, also Dirty Process have their own kind of um, style. Um, so, you know, I was looking for something that was humorous. I was looking for something that was a bit provocative. Um, and, yeah, Tim would try to me quite often, like, who writes like this? <laughs> um, you know, I'm kind of going, ah, cut it down. What pushes the story forward? Yes, that's a funny line. Yes, that's yeah. a funny story. But what's it doing to help the story? Nothing. So, you know, constantly focusing on that story and pushing it forward. and uh, Refining
0: yeah. and making sure the beats are clear and yeah. cutting any anything that doesn't need to be there, I guess. Exactly,
1: exactly, exactly that. But, you know, there's so many one-people shows on lots of monologues and they're great, I think, but also um, I worry sometimes that they're oversaturated with the one-people shows too, you know? I
0: kind of agree, to be honest. Some of them can be excellent, but, like, you know, we need the opportunity as writers to write for bigger casts. And if yeah. all we're seeing are monologues, we're not going to get those opportunities.
1: Exactly, and it kind of makes me worry. Does it say a lot about us as society that we're unable to
0: communicate with other people that we can only? Oh yeah, that's true. Heads, yeah, you know? yeah, that's a really good point actually. <laughs> um, you wrote um, "A Night in the Clink with Tracy Harris and Matt Burgo. Mm-hmm. I'm interested <laughs> in how that collaboration worked. So was it one piece or was it three separate pieces?
1: Um, Yeah, it it was a collaboration with um, Paper Trail. So Paper Trail um, Theatre Company invited the three of us writers to collaborate. Um, And what a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Dream dream. I've known Tracy and Matthew for a couple of years now. Um, We collaborated together in 2007 um, on a play called The Exquisite Corpse. Um, that true fiction theatre company created. So, you know, I'm a massive fan of 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 their work um as writers and performers as well. Um so it was really lovely to be able to collaborate with friends, you know. Yeah. Friends who I know that I feel like I know their work inside out because um I've always followed their journey, their career journey. And you know, to be able to kind of weave our stories together, um, it was really exciting and really rewarding as well. Um, the way we created this play, we were lucky enough to go to um, the Clink restaurant in Cardiff and meet some of the prisoners who work in the restaurant there. Yeah. So even though it wasn't a verbatim piece of theatre, we were definitely um, inspired by the stories that the prisoners were giving us, you know, and yeah. definitely inspired by the characters that we met, or oh, sorry, where the people we met, to so, so enable us to create some characters out of the people that we met. Um, so we went to the prison visited the prison together, met the same people, talked about, you know, what we found interesting, um, and then initially went off and wrote separately, and then brought it together and kind of saw what the, you know, familiar threads were, what worked together, and then collaborated to strengthen that, I guess.
0: Did you consider doing it verbatim?
1: Um. Yes. Yes, we did. Um, and you know, there's a lot to talk about. That really, as in, you know, were we taking advantage by yeah. by using our imagination and creating something, or you know, was it our right to tell their story if it was verbatim, or you know, there's a lot of kind of um, things to discuss with that project, I guess. Um. One major thing that, uh, you know, that couldn't allow us to do it verbatim was you never knew who you'd meet because mm. um, some of the prisoners would be released, some prisoners had moved on, um, they weren't always there, you know, we were working to a schedule. So, um, yeah, it would have been quite difficult to, to have it purely verbatim, I guess, but um, but we were very grateful, at, you know, the honesty and the generosity of the people we met sharing their stories and sharing their life. Yeah.
0: And I suppose some people have been through some very dark, I t- was mm. quite desperate things as well. And, and yeah. the play was performed, said specifically, in, in the canteen of prison.
1: Oh, it was actually in the restaurant, right. so the clink. So it's um, it's a high-end restaurant where um, prisoners are trained to work in the kitchen or front of house or um, as staff in the restaurant. Yeah. So, you know, as an audience member, you'd come in and have that experience of a really beautiful meal, but also um, communicating with, with you know, they were actors that we had, but you know, seen as staff of the people who, yeah. you know, the backstory of some of the people who would. Would be working there. I think something that we really wanted to highlight was um, the human side of the mm-hmm. prisoners. Um, we really wanted to tap into rehabilitation. The whole idea of the Clink restaurant is rehabilitation, and thinking, you know, yes, they are in prison for a reason. However, there is life beyond that, and
0: It's, it's not a hopeless situation. Like no, no. there is light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, and everyone was their dreams and, Mm. you know, their aspirations as well. And a lot of the men that we met, they were like, I'd really like to open my own cafe. I'd really Mm. like to, I'd really like my daughter to be proud of me. You know, they were sons, fathers, brothers, you know, um, they're humans, uh, not Mm. just criminals. And, you know, they wanted to do right for what they'd done.
0: And we definitely forget that Mm. in society. Mm. Is they're just seen as criminals without identities. I suppose that's what you wanted to, to give them back and humanise yeah. them. Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely.
0: You're um, currently on the panel for Sherman's um, Hearing Voices scheme, which um, aims to give opportunities this year to female actors in particular. How important yeah. do you think that specific groups are with protected characteristics are given specific opportunities within the industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's vitally important. You know, um, I was part of a theatre company um, we, that doesn't exist anymore, but Agent One Hundred and Sixty Theatre Company that was a speci- oh, I can't speak specific company to give voice to um, female or female identity um, writers and when you look at the statistics of whose plays are produced and if you were to look at a season, a theatre season and and check who the writers are, the majority are always male. (laughs) Um, And not to say that that's, you know, I'm not criticising every time but then you're kind of thinking, well, why is that? You have to question it and you know um are women not given the opportunity are women shyer maybe you know um less likely to promote and push themselves so to to create opportunities where you can go actually this is for you yeah. um everyone's got a story you know everyone's got a different background everyone's got something to share so to actually hand someone opportunity say go for it run with it this is for you I think
0: that's really important did you find it difficult as a female writer to get opportunities
1: yeah I, th- I think there's always that kind of um assumption that women writers write from personal experience um and that that isn't as important maybe you know um i must say i've been really lucky because i've been given opportunities and i've been mentored by some great people um male and female um and i guess i'm stubborn and i haven't given up and i just keep at it um and you know funnily enough i remember one of the first things that i wrote is a play called dominoes and it was a collaboration for theater again and um, it was an opportunity for young people (laughs) back in the day when i was young (laughs) and uh the only people who applied for that were females and um yeah we were all girls who wrote it so you know you know that was open to everyone Mm. so you never know but i think um yeah who knows you know um i think it's important that women uh give themselves that credit that they do have something worth saying yeah. Um,
0: and to kind of be bold, um, and just allow women to be bold, I guess, yeah. Definitely. Um, you've been involved in script e Loivan for for everyone, and you're mm-hmm. currently facilitating script writing workshops with my old youth theatre, yeah. um How important... Um, do you think kind of that role is in developing young writers and new writers and introducing young writers to the medium of theatre?
1: I think it's vital um I absolutely love that side of the work that I do um I I really love working with young people I you know I love teaching I don't know I like calling it teaching I like um inspiring hopefully mm. um and you know proving to young people that it's possible and that this exists and it's an exciting medium to be working in um and yeah um to kind of prove to them that writing isn't necessarily an academic thing um yeah. that you don't necessarily have to be intellectual and for writing for theatre it's not necessarily about grammar and being correct it's about you know looking at the world seeing what's going on, reacting to it, um, and, you know, creating characters and, and being heard. Um, yeah, I love it. I, I always get inspired by working with young people mm-hmm. and the stories that they've got to tell. Um, and I think it would be a travesty if, you know, older writers were writing for young people when it should be the young people writing for them, because no one knows them as well as them. Um and um, yeah, I, I love theatre so much. I mean, I've been banging around in this industry now for 20 <laughs> years. I love it. Um, and I want other people to be able to have that enjoyment of it as
0: well, you know. And just introducing young people to ideas and opportunities and forms that they might not have thought of. And maybe you inspire one person in that room to, to think, that's what I want to do. I think that can be really special.
1: Yeah, because, you know, it's going back to storytelling as well, Mm. isn't it? Storytelling that's been going on for centuries and centuries and that we want to listen, that we want to share. And there's that medium which has an urgency, which is really different from film and theatre. It's something that you're sharing with Mm. a live audience and, oh, it has a power to it, you know? Definitely,
0: yes. and seeing those young people experience that power to be moved by it for the first time—really,
1: yeah.
0: There's something so lovely about able to um, young people to hear their vo- um, hear their scripts being read yeah. by actors. You know, it's amazing. Um, you know, still, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm a relatively new kind of amazing writer, and that is still kind of—it's oh, it's just really powerful when you hear. So you've it's created being interpreted by someone else definitely
1: and you know what that person can read in something that you've
0: written mm. and it's like wow yeah no definitely uh, you I want to talk about translation quickly before you finish okay. you've translated 30 I need voice no, research You've translated 13 by Bartlett. Um. What are the challenges of translation within a theatrical context?
1: Yeah, um, that was lovely, being able, the opportunity um, to translate 13 by Mike Butler because it's such a powerful play. Um, and that was for the University um, of Trinity, St David's, you know, the School Formio And then Harold Lee was directing the oh, play.
0: And Harold Lee's been on... Podcast
1: yes, I well. yes, know. Yeah. The powerhouse that is and how For her, yeah, She really, really, really is. And someone else is the good mentor, you know, and pushes mm. people and inspires people. Um, so, you, you know, she had this hunger to direct this play and saw the potential of this play and thought, how could this work in, in Welsh? And um, luckily enough, invited me to um, translate it. But yeah, um wow what a play and um, so relevant to now as well you mm-hmm. know um, even though the play was written 10 years ago and it has that political kind of um, urgency to it but i guess our challenge was how do we how do we give it a welsh flavour a welsh you know to um to make it believable because we're we're talking about um attacks in america um you know iran yeah um, and for that to work and to be believable and to have that credibility in Wales when we have our own assembly and yet we don't have all our own powers and, oh, you know, we had some really kind of heated and interesting conversations about how is this going to work mm. and, yeah, the nuances, you know, there's so many different things to think about when translating. It's an exciting challenge, definitely.
0: Were you just translating or were you kind of adapting as well?
1: Um... It's interesting when you do translate, um, you know, we had to ask permission, obviously, to translate it. And one of those, um, uh, you know, it was kind of noted that you, you weren't allowed to adapt. It was a translation only. Right. Um, yeah, so we were quite limited on on that part with this particular play. But with other plays, you know, um, maybe there would be a bit more leeway with with being able to do... Um,
0: Recontextualise recontextualizing elements, maybe to make them feel more Welsh, more culturally Welsh. It is kind of translating something that you enjoy and something that you would do again. Yes,
1: definitely. Um, you know, I years ago I used to complain that there was too many um, translations of English plays being done in in Wales, and I was thinking come on, we should be supporting our writers rather than mm. translating. Um, I have changed my opinion. I think, you know, there's such great plays that they, they need to be translated. But I think there's a way of adapting them as well so that they have a, a strong Welsh identity within those plays as well, mm. you know. I think um, Theatre again did a really um, brilliant translation, The um, Father Attard, recently, Um
0: by Chloe and Zeller?
1: Yes, yeah. yes. And I thought that was excellent, you know. So there is room for it, but I think, you know, that we should be careful that it's not all translation that we do mm. also support um, our Welsh writers. Yes. Also that Welsh plays could be translated to other languages too, you know. Definitely. Um, we're not just focusing on Wales that um and blinkered to Wales, but that we have an international kind of um, viewpoint as well.
0: I 100% agree with that and finally my final question is uh, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry
1: yeah I would say definitely don't wait for the phone to ring, be proactive make a noise, create your own buzz about you Um, not to be shy um, you know Make a noise, grab every opportunity yeah. there and meet people. Go go and introduce yourself. Go and see as many plays as possible, read as many plays as possible. Um yes, it's a competitive industry, but there's a lot of people out there who want to help and are willing to help. And if someone says, Oh, email me, <laughs> get in touch, grab a coffee with me, then to to, to jump on that opportunity, take guess, those opportunities. Mm. And, you know, it's um, talking to people, keeping open about it and and collaborating as well. And even if, you know, you're interested maybe in performing, why not um, write your own play as well and see, you know, if you can perform in your own play. Um, Try different avenues because no one sticks to just one thing, I don't think. Um, And there's a joy in trying out all sorts of things. You
0: have to kind of diversify, especially in Wales. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Both. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, and I really enjoyed it. You're more than welcome.
0: <laughs> on the next episode, I will be chatting to the writer Roger Williams, so make sure you tune in for that one. For now, we'll see you on the next episode of In Lockdown Red. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.